0: Hi, welcome to Forbes India's The Startup Fridays podcast. I'm Hari Akali, tech editor at Forbes India. And in these podcasts, we'll bring you conversations with entrepreneurs who are finding opportunities in solving a variety of problems in multiple areas, from agriculture and satellite imagery to digital finance and cryptocurrencies. We'll also talk to investors from venture capital companies and other folks who are playing a significant role in India's maturing startup scene. You can find a new episode every Friday evening. You can also find us live on Instagram every Friday morning. Stay safe and happy listening. So let me get started. Uh, the Indian startup ecosystem, in many ways, has matured quite a bit, but uh, there are some areas uh, which still have a long way to go, and uh, for the ecosystem to get real uh, depth uh, and you know sort of become a, a truly mature one one important uh, segment is uh, you know those entrepreneurs who are trying to solve really hard technologically hard uh, problems and uh, and and the reason it's important is uh, i mean it goes way beyond uh, uh, you know the startup ecosystem and wealth creation and things like that i mean uh, solutions to some of the world's biggest problems like climate change are most likely to come from these entrepreneurs who are trying to solve very hard technological problems and uh, today's guest uh, has taken it upon himself uh, to encourage uh, such entrepreneurs. Uh, Meet uh, Vishesh Rajaram, French uh, Capital Company called uh, Special Invest. And, uh, and his aim is to back uh, you know, deep tech entrepreneurs. Uh, so just to get us started uh, Vishesh, uh, tell us a little bit about Special Invest. When did you start it? What was the idea behind it?
1: Terrific. Hey, firstly, thanks for having us here. Arjun and I are the two founders of the fund, um, Special Invest. We both sort of put our heads around end of 2016, early 2017, and sort of got together to say what are we truly passionate about. Um, and each of our backgrounds, Arjun's been in tech and products. He's been uh, in large companies like Yahoo and iRebo and Aspers, and he's been in startups and I've been in the venture capital world now for as long as I can remember, about 14 years. So we both sort of got together and saying, hey, is there a meaningful way for us to, you know, build an institution that will last time and also contribute to the ecosystem, right? And then we both said that, hey, we're very passionate about investing in early stage. We're both very passionate about creating value through, you know, investing in in disruptive tech, Um And then that's how we sort of got together to say, let's put together a fund called Special Invest. And uh, let's sort of focus on two large gamuts. One is what we call enterprise software, and these are sort of companies building software products for the globe from India. And focus on Frontier Tech Hardware, and Frontier Tech Hardware being hardware solutions where you're coming up with truly disruptive products that are addressing needs. Around, uh, you know, alternate energy, alternate food, space, robotics, and largely finding ways for us to just live better on Earth and longer on Earth, right? Sort of, that is a larger goal. We both sort of got together in end of 2016, early 2017. Uh, We've been fairly fortunate. We've had the opportunity to now work with about 14 groups of entrepreneurs. We made about 14 investments in our first one. We've done fairly well for ourselves. The founders have done an excellent job. We've managed to put together our second fund, which we just went live a few weeks ago. So we, this gives us an opportunity to, to continue to be in the uh, startup and venture ecosystem for another five to seven years and continue to sort of contribute and support helping building some of these companies. So that's largely uh, our thesis and focus.
0: So tell us about why it's important to invest in the kind of entrepreneurs that you're investing in. I mean, we've read an
1: array of different kinds of data, you know, there's one data and graph that we've seen somewhere that just shows about CO2 emissions that have come out. And I think there's there's a wave of industrialization that's happened in the last 60, 70 years in certain countries, China, India, and of course, a few others that have possibly taken the approach of putting growth and industrialization above earth and natural resources, right? Um, And we're beginning to see strong signs of impact of that, and this cannot be a sustainable way to do industry for another 60, 70 years. Uh, we have to truly think long term, in saying how do you still have an avenue to grow for another two, three hundred years, and how do you sort of preserve certain aspects of Earth for it, right? That that sort of led us to think that hey, you can't be, you know, you can't be burning fuel in the sea for a ship or you know all around you've got to find alternate ways of of doing some of that right that sort of led us to an early investment in ultraviolet in 2016 and then we spent a lot of time understanding alternate battery battery chemistries again lithium is not like the one solution for all there are still issues around where you find the raw materials of these what mines they're coming from what environment is there for those mines so there is no perfect solution right but it, i think it's all an improvisation from, from current status quo. And that sort of led, led us to saying that, hey, can we find uh, alternate battery chemistries and can we make air transportation more environmentally friendly? We've got an investment in a company called E-plane Company. They're building electric planes for, for short-haul travel. So yeah, it started dawning upon us that, hey, there ought to be a smart way to read Earth. Right. I mean, if you're constantly talking about you want to survive on Earth longer, you've got to find a way to read Earth. To, to read smartly is to collect information on earth and of course you can collect information on earth in different ways you can put sensors you can put drones you can stitch all of that up but if you want to get a holistic view of earth you got to go take a photo of earth outside and that is sort of what led us to saying hey space is crucial space is important and this is something this is a problem worth solving and there, we've been very fortunate to work with some stellar founders. These guys build rockets to take small satellites to space. There's Kava Space. They, make, um, you know, they help work with satellite imagery to help businesses use intelligence from space to make better business decisions. An array of them. So that's sort of how we iteratively got into to discover a few sectors that we think are truly disruptive to help sustain longer here.
0: And your first fund was about uh, $15 million, is that correct? I think we
1: mostly invested, we've got about in space for about 2-3 investments, which we are in the process of closing in the in the coming quarter.
0: And overall you've invested in about uh, 15 companies so far in that fund?
1: Yeah, I think uh, at the end of the life of the fund we should have about 18 companies. We've done 14 to date, 3-4 um, more to do. I think uh, we'll have 18, 18 at the end of it.
0: And now you're ready to raise your second fund. Can you tell us about that?
1: Yeah, I think we've been very fortunate. A lot of our existing investors sort of came out to support our second fund. And our second fund about between two and three times the size of the first fund, which just allows us to support some of these companies with more follow-on capital in, in much later rounds. So our strategy will still sort of remain the same, which is, hey, let's get into this zero-to-one journey. Let's get in, in the first 100, 200 days of the startup's journey. Let's sort of support them with you know, customer introductions, early hires and so on. And then if they're doing well, let's also make sure we have enough money to sort of at least support some part of their growth aspirations, if not all. You are investing
0: in, uh, not in e-commerce or social commerce or whatever is popular these days, but in areas where, I mean, you know, it's really tough and probably we need a lot of money going forward for the entrepreneurs to sort of make a meaningful difference. So tell us about how how it's different investing in deep tech. Uh, how do you find your uh, entrepreneurs? How do you make the decision to give them that first check? So there are different questions out there. Let me let me try and
1: take a stab at each of them, right? I think just Arjun and my DNA, and a lot of this is also rub off from some of our relationships that we you know we closely share in in places like Israel and and places like NTU and NUS and Singapore where. And of course, in India as well, where we've really seen that value can be created by doing something fundamentally different. And we're also big fans of saying that, hey, we want to be very capital efficient. We know we're small funds, you know, we're not a we're not couple hundred million dollar, billion dollar funds to you know, write large checks. So we want to be very meaningful with the capital that we put in and make sure it's sort of is able to deliver non-linear value. Right? So, by and large, we stay away from businesses that require substantial investment in, in customer education, customer discovery, and all of that. Because we often worry that sometimes capital becomes the, the largest moat in those businesses. And we have bigger fans of saying tech itself needs to be a large moat. If you look at all of our business, they have tech as their biggest moat, and that's sort of what differentiates them vis-a-vis others. In terms of how we go about doing what we do. I think there are a couple of things working in our favour. Folks like you and other people in the ecosystem constantly encourage us to continue to do what we do and hence there's a little bit of word of mouth that founders themselves sort of come to us if they're doing something in in, in the areas of our interest. We also work quite closely with academia and with, um, with other, you know, deep tech incubators and accelerators. They allow us an early peek into what's going on in in some of these areas of batteries or water purification or or carbon capture and air purification and things like that. I think that just allows us to learn more and more about these sectors and get us comfortable when we see the right founder. Yeah. The third aspect is Arjun and I've been fortunate that we've been in the industry now for 15 years ourselves, so we have our own networks, sort of helping support this. So this this sort of leads in an inbound we end up seeing about. A 1,500 thousand, companies every year, and we sort of try and pick three, five companies from that. In terms of what what excites us or what, what gets us to write that check, I think there are two big aspects to it. One is, you know, we spend a lot of time with the founders, and we try and learn from them this, what is this truly unique insight that they know that most people don't know or don't agree with? We try and see if we can get comfortable to agree with their vision. To us, that seems like what leads us to then get comfortable saying, is this tech so hard that most others can't build, right? And that tech that is hard that most others can't build sort of stems from this insight that these individuals have that most others don't have, hmm. right? I mean, if you look at, uh, we have a company called Sinler Robotics, and these guys make um, robotic hands more intelligent, and they were also sort of people that I think some of you have met earlier. Now, um, these two founders were folks who were, worked at National Instruments for, you know, for a long period of time and National Instruments in India is considered a watering hole for all robotic problems. So these two guys spent significant time, you know, 2-3,000 days of their lives listening to problems from the industry. Mm-hmm. Then they spent another 2-3,000 days of their lives working uh, and building their own startup where they were system integrators, right, they went and delivered solutions. Mm-hmm. So. Just having been through that 10-year journey of doing these two just gives them very unique, on-ground, real insights beyond what you read in, you know, published reports of McKinsey and PCG. You truly understand insights from the ground of what happens in a a Mahindra or a TVS motor plant or in a Flipkart warehouse and what are the true problems of automation there. And these guys then came out saying that, you know, robotic hands are there, but, you know, they don't do a whole lot. And you need to find a way to make these robotic hands human-like. And one way to do that is to support it with a brain and an eye. So these guys build uh, the eyes on top of the robotic hands and the brain to help these robotic hands behave like humans.
0: So is this a trend among the entrepreneurs that you back uh, where they are not fresh out of college but uh, tend to be people who bring deep domain experience, uh, sometimes with decades of experience?
1: So I think it comes in both ways, right? I mean, we packed we the company earlier in, in augmented reality and um, you know, augmented reality as a, a as a sector does not have three decades of experience. So the founders themselves are quite young. Uh, but now we've invested with a set of founders in the aerospace business. Um, Our aerospace business has been there for longer than I've been here.
0: Uh,
1: and one of the founders there is about 20 plus years of experience. So I think it sort of cut both ways. It depends on the sector. It depends on uh, just the level of innovation curve that that particular sector itself is
0: in. Mm. And it's a mixed bag. Finding... Mm, mm. And where are we finding their market, their customers? I think it's
1: both India and global. Okay. It's both, it's both India and global. I think a lot of the times the first customers end up being here and then they sort of end up being global. I think, see a lot of these problems that we're working on beat, it, beat it climate tech, beat space. These are not India specific problems. Of course, India. It's clearly a strong first customer there, but these are global problems. And if you are able to sort of solve it out of here for global markets, then then that's sort of the angle there. Our robotics companies clearly can solve problems in both, you know, the Singapore ecosystem as well as in Detroit, at the automotive ecosystem there as well. So markets and applications are largely global; they're not India specific.
0: So, let me step back and ask you this uh, about the Indian startup scene You're in the VC uh, industry. Um, this year, particularly, uh, we're seeing an unprecedented number of uh, unicorns. So what is happening here? Why are investors so bullish about uh, many Indian startups? So I
1: think there are, there are multiple levers moving here, right? There is just one big lever saying that the cost of capital globally is low. So this just liquidity more so than before. Mm. Um, there's also early success of India, at least in the last five years, that has given the f- the investors who made money to sort of double down on India. Number three, I think the the Indian consumer ecosystem is is right up there, uh, and hence patterns that you're seeing in in China and US are mostly working in India. And hence, you know, a combination of there being capital, they're having made money in the past, and they're seeing clear trends in certain areas allows people to double down. Uh, So Mm -hmm. I think that's, uh, that's what that's what's happening. I mean, I I particularly don't have a view at the pace at the valuation. I mean, uh, I, I don't have a strong view on that. I think the positivity I take out of that is this all this capital is getting spent in India. So I think it's largely good for the nation. In more than one ways, there are more jobs that are going to come out of, out of this capital that's getting spent. Clearly, a large piece of this is going into consumerism, which I think, in the larger scheme of life, is is all very positive. Okay. And is it too early to talk about uh, deep tech unicorns coming out of India? So I think unicorn is um, is of course a, a number that someone's coined saying it's a billion dollars in value. Um, and I think there. are And I have a, again. In some of the reports that I've read, it takes anywhere between uh, three years to about six, seven years for these companies to achieve this status. Mm-hmm. And 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 the first guys, of course, take a little longer, right? So I think the 20-30 companies in India who are sort of focusing on deep tech are the first men or the first or the first set of founders out there trying to do this. And mm-hmm. hence, I assume they'll take they'll take a little longer than the next set of guys who who do it. So. I'm sure you'll see that in the next three to five years coming. And I would I would be very surprised if that does not happen. Is that going to happen in the next 12 to 18 months? It's anybody's guess. I, I, mean, I, I, think, I think some of these just are very valuable companies in the long term, and I'd be surprised if they don't make it. But I also don't think that's a metric that they will evaluate themselves or I would evaluate them. I think if their technology is sort of becomes globally applicable and globally accepted, that's a big win and being a unicorn is a byproduct
0: of doing that mm-hmm. uh, you might have a sort of a, uh, an informed guesstimate uh, about what I'm going to ask you how many uh, truly sort of deep tech startups would you say are there today compared with to, say three years back or five years back in India
1: so I okay I, this is really a guesstimate and as it is giving you a hard number maybe let me find Give a slightly different view to it. I think in the last three years, I would I would think that numbers at least tripled. Okay. Mm. I would think that numbers at least tripled. I think mm. even our own deal flow, I mean just the number of companies we're seeing that's purely on the deep IP side has also sort of tripled. You know, mm. every ten deals that I see, if there were two of them that were deep tech today, there's six. So I think that's sort of mm. we are seeing a lot more folks that are sort of coming out to do this, right? And I think there are a few levers to it. Just seeing some of the ones that are showing early success is giving confidence to a set of folks with deep domain and tech to sort of come out and, and do things. I mean, about two weeks ago, my partner, Arjun, and I got talking to someone who spent about 15 plus years in uh, in corporate and is now out there to build a, build a radar company. And a, a, quite unheard of before in India, right? Someone who's been 15 years in corporate tends to spend the next 15 years doing that. Um, But I think there's just a lot of confidence that's stemming out out of seeing other people being successful, uh, Mm. seeing opportunities that sort of exist for more folks to come out and do it. I think this is just a, um, just a, a good time to sort of go out and build. At the same time, you know, deep tech is not trivial. It's very hard. Firstly, entrepreneurship is not trivial. It's very, very hard. As much as we often read only glory, there's often a lot mm. more, you know, down days or non-glorious days of struggle that most people don't get to read or know about, right? So we have a lot of respect for founders, first things first. Second, deep tech is just taking more burden of pain on yourself because it's not often not obvious. Customers are not obvious. Uh, Go to market is not obvious. There's just a lot of iteration, a lot of figuring out that's needed, agility mm. that's needed. And some of this doesn't come naturally to people, including myself, and we take time and we learn along the way, right? Hmm. So, um, it's, it's, a, it's a hard journey to be through, and uh, I think our focus is to to enjoy the journey along the way. Outcomes will
0: um, often not be in our control. Hmm. What is still missing in India from the perspective of uh, supp- uh, supporting deep track ecosystem? You know, I'm an optimist, so I, as you can
1: say, what is missing, I will try and predict what will happen in the years to come. I think there mm-hmm. are a handful of 20-30 companies in deep tech, and at least 50% of them will perform very well. Some of them will reach that unicorn status, which now is coined as a recognition for growth. Mm-hmm. Um, some of all of that will happen, and I think more, found, more PCs will get comfortable
0: to have appetite to do this. Can the government? Mm. Sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Go
1: ahead. Yeah, so I think, I think the venture ecosystem today is uh, is cautiously approaching this, and with more success coming out there, I think a lot more of them will be more open. Mm. Success breeds success, right? And hence, I'm sort of just being optimistic, saying some of them will be successful, and that will just give a comfort to a whole bunch of other founders to come and do more of this. And it'll give confidence to a whole bunch of other VCs to come out and do this as well. And mm-hmm. clearly that's what happened to consumer, right? It's so, it was not in 2007 that every VC said they'll do it. A few did yeah. well, like the Axels of the world did very well, the parts of the world. And then this, that just br- allowed a lot more people to get comfortable to do more of that. So, mm. We'd like to believe uh, we're in that early stage here on the deep tech side and some of this will play itself out. In terms of your uh, question on the government, we're a large country, things take time Uh, and I say this because, you know, we've got friends of ours in Israel and there's something called IIA, uh, which is Israeli Innovation Authority and previously called Officer of Chief Scientist, right, which Mm -hmm. pretty much in layman's terms is almost getting you a dollar for dollar funding for a project that would be approved by them. when I look at it, it sounds great, but it's also, you know, it's easier to implement it when you've got 8, 10 million people as against, uh, you know, close uh, to a couple of billion people in the country. So I think it's it's not easy, but I think I think some of our startups are seeing advantages of the government's direct and indirect support, right? Um, mm-hmm. Like NCCRD, which is like a, a center for combustion research at IDI Madras. Is is a fairly interesting piece of infrastructure that's been set up by, of course, IIT Midras and support from either the central or the state. So these are early days still. So I think I I'm mm-hmm. I'm very excited to see the half
0: glass full. Okay, brilliant. One last question. Uh, what uh, I mean, you, I know you're you're talking about raising your second fund and so on, but in the coming years, um, anything that you would like to highlight in terms of what is what are the next uh, exciting big things that special in this. So I think we're
1: um, we're spending time on uh, on ways to do alternate food and ways to create alternate energy, uh, okay. and we think these would be two very meaningful things for the next few decades. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, we're excited. I mean, for us, our day is always very exciting because we're speaking to people much smarter than us, much more aware and informed than us, and we're just constantly absorbing. Mm-hmm as much as we can. So, uh,
0: so exciting times ahead for us. Okay. Brilliant. Uh, Vishesh, thank you so much for making time for this conversation. Uh, all right, all right. Right. And we hope to keep the conversation going. So that was uh, Vishesh Rajaram, uh, at Special Invest, who is doing some exemplary work uh, backing the entrepreneurs are trying to solve hard technological problems in a very important uh, area of work. follow followers and supporters, as you always do that keeps us going. See you then. Be safe.